It's the show where Hawaii's newsmakers come to talk and to take your questions live. From the nation's capital to Honolulu Hale, from the state legislature to the fifth floor, we bring the experts to you and ask them what you want to know. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Palaisuji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Well, happy Aloha Friday. Thanks for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. And this morning, we will be featuring a guest that we haven't had on the show before and also somebody who is assuming a new office that has been created specifically by the legislature uh, and someone that has just been appointed by Governor Green. That's right, a fresh face at the legislature and, of course, a fresh face on this show. We welcome this morning Tia Roberts-Hartsock. She's the executive director of the Office of Wellness and Resilience. This is a very interesting uh, office, and we're so excited to have you on this morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, Aloha. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the nuts and bolts uh, for folks who aren't familiar. What is the Office of Wellness and Resilience? What's the mission? And, uh, and tell us about what you're hoping to accomplish. Sure, thanks. Uh, we, we're brand new. It was an office that was developed through legislative uh, sessions last year in 2022. Uh, it had uh, bipartisan support throughout the legislative session and really was birthed out of a huge collaborative uh, a community um, effort through the trauma-informed care task force that was that has been um, happening to create a framework for the state to implement trauma-informed care. And when this legislation was introduced, um, we were really looking to uh, try and have a coordinated response to um, how we look and approach trauma, um, how we respond to people that have experienced traumatic stress and all kind of under the guise of the, the COVID pandemic, it has just been exacerbated, these pieces in our community. So we really wanted to be able to um, address it full force uh, and get in front of and, um, and around the, the improvement and, and the wellness and resilience uh, of people's mental health in the state. Uh, let's talk a little bit also about just the difference uh, between this department uh, and your office and what you are looking to accomplish, as well as others that have already been established. Of course, uh, there's the Department of Health uh, that would kind of overlap with some of these things that you're talking about, the Department of Human Services. Uh, how is this different from the services that were already provided in already established department uh, and why it, there was the need maybe to create something this specific uh, for this cause? Yeah, it's, I think the, the, the overlap, there is some overlap, there is some coordination, but it, it, as a kind of looking at, at a 30,000 foot view, uh, there's a, several reform efforts that are happening and that have been happening in the state around trauma-informed care for several years, um, both within the state level, on the federal level, as well as in the, on the community um, uh, nonprofit base. And what, the, what one of the primary aspects of the office is gonna do is really look to coordinate those efforts so that we're able to understand what's happening out there, where the overlap is, where the gaps are, where the pukas are in those system structures, and be able to help find um, funding support from federal funding um, to state funding, and, and um, hopefully use the office as a bit of an incubator to help support the um, 
the efforts that that are happening throughout the state. The other the other piece is to really look at having a centralized body to um, do training and technical assistance on building resilience within the workforce, um, building mental well-being throughout um, and with trauma-informed care strategies, uh, and provide um, coordinated training um, across the board, across the state departments, um, and within the community uh, on how to best uh, approach and respond to trauma. And, and just so that we're all, you know, speaking the same language, what is trauma-informed care and how, you know, when you, when you use that kind of language, I think a lot of people think about therapy mm-hmm. um, and don't necessarily think about workplace wellness and how that all fits together. So just sort of the basics, what is trauma-informed care and how is that applied in the settings that you described? Well, you know, it's, to me, it's really looking at how we uh, recognize how to interact with each other specifically when people are coming from um, early adverse experiences as children and how it plays out um, with later in life health disparities. And depending on how you look at it, we have um, uh, many adults that are living um, through at least one traumatic experience in their lifetime. Um, But when we're looking at people that are involved in our system structures, like the mental health system, the judiciary, uh, juvenile justice, criminal justice, the child welfare systems, the adverse experiences of those folks um, are are multiplied, not just from being um, uh, from their communities and and how we experience collectively and historical trauma, but also in individual trauma and experience with interpersonal um, trauma, witnessing neglect, witnessing violence. Um, But being trauma-informed really looks at recognizing the prevalence of that trauma and um, starting with that concept of uh, adverse experiences as children. Um, And and again, it ranges from um, witnessing violence, but it can also be like medical traumas, right? Um, And having those within communities and and within families and how that has a long-term prolonged effect on people's ability to regulate emotionally and their ability to show up for work, their ability to be present and balanced, their ability to learn in environments like school. If we have stressed brains, it's very challenging to concentrate and remember. Uh, And so that has an impact on the way in which we learn even just as humans. Uh, just want to also give some context into just how this position and this department was created. Uh, of course, Governor Green, uh, you were appointed by this administration, but this is something that was approved prior to Governor Green even coming into uh, office. And so this has been some years in the work prior to this administration uh, yes. coming on in, in November. If you can give some context into uh, how this all started, well, where this conversation began to form this department and how it eventually led to where you're at now. Sure. So again, this is just, it's been a uh, couple of decades of work, of people's work that has led to this, in my opinion, uh, around in, within the trauma-informed care uh, field, within the work of mental health, um, and as it overlaps with um, child welfare experiences and criminal justice experiences, system involvement, what we call crossover um, youth crossover families that are in multiple system involved. And uh, the the need for this has been has been on a grassroots level. It's been in nonprofits. Um, but the task force that was developed in 2021, 
the Act 209 Trauma-Informed Care Task Force was developed out of session laws. And it uh, was this, there's 11 members on that, um, representing most state departments, child serving and family serving, along with nonprofits and uh, other community organize, uh, organizations that provide support to youth and families. And the, the office was, as I mentioned, created to um, uh, really pull together collective voices in the community that were seeing the need um, rise from the COVID pandemic and really understand that we're what we're going, what we're starting to see already is just going to be uh, multiplied. And as we've gone over the, the months now um, and are technically in post-pandemic mode and a post-pandemic world, we're continuing just to see this rise in um, not only uh, traumatic experiences that happened during the pandemic, um, but that are um, learning lost, um, lost like, opportunities to grieve during the pandemic, to celebrate during the pandemic, to come together and can connect during the pandemic continues to kind of show up in uh, what we look at social determinants of health um, and what we look at uh, how um, workforce wellness and, and resilience is kind of trying to now come back to a world and, and address um, how we're supported in our, in our everyday lives. I mean, it's so interesting to hear you talk about that. I was reflecting so much because, of course, May 11th and uh, and so much of the coverage was focused on, oh, the pandemic's over and thinking about what these last few years have been like. Um, I think to varying degrees, we've all experienced um, some pretty tough times and a lot of fear and anxiety, a loss of work. Uh, those of us who are parents, very concerned about our children. Right. How prevalent do you think the kind of trauma that you're talking about is and, you know, you're an office, I, I believe, about of about six people, and surely you can't address all the trauma in our community. How do you prioritize that? What kind of qualifies? You know, how how do you determine where to focus your efforts? Well, as we were developed through many many hands, uh, getting this legislation through, and prior to even introducing legislation for this, uh, it will be the same effort moving forward. Um, utilizing system partners that we have developed um, over the years, uh, utilizing the task force members uh, within their own departments and organizations to continue to collaborate. It's 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 going to be this you know a very much a cockable effort. It's going to be a collective effort to move within the communities, identify the needs, identify the barriers, uh, and to see how we can um, move forward through. Uh, really building resilience. There are many things that are working in within our communities right now that build resilience. Um, INA-based programs, um, you know, connecting to cultural practices and activities. And so part of the office is also looking at um, uplifting those practices and seeing how we can replicate and, and support those practices that are, that are showing a lot of promise in communities to build uh, the concept of connection um, to not only connection to self, not only that, but connection to a family, connection to communities, um, and really looking at it across the lifespan, um, the, the Keiki to Kapuna concept of understanding what um, mental wellness really needs to look like. It, and I will specifically kind of note that as we've gone through the pandemic, we've seen, even prior to the pandemic, we've seen um, uh, a need for more staff in our systems, 
um, shortage of staff. But since the pandemic has happened, um, you know, this nationwide um, concept of the great resignation is, of course, affecting us here as well. And we have this concept where um, now that we have more need with less people in the workforce uh, and recruiting and retaining healthy staff and supporting them as they're trying to navigate not only their own pieces of what they've experienced over the last few years, but now trying to respond to the increasing need of the communities and the public around their um, uh, wellness and resilience as a community. You know, when you think about it, there are so many different areas uh, of state departments as well as other functions of government that uh, are impacted by trauma and some of the things that you're expressing. We have a question here from Heidi who's asking, will this division working with uh, the houseless community, hospital releases and creating a safe uh, release process? Yeah. Uh, the governor has uh, been very vocal about his commitment to uh, homelessness, of course, setting up the Kalhale across the street from uh, Queens Hospital to help directly deal with those individuals who may be needing assistance uh, in other care beyond uh, just getting a house, but just human services, uh, counseling, uh, other types of services. Uh, how is this department related into some of those efforts? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, we, we are in the office of the governor as is um, the houseless coordinator and uh, James Koshiba, who I think you're having on tomorrow. So we coordinate with each other on, on a regular basis. Um, one of the, the other pieces that I'm really interested in, in implementing throughout our system's responses to um, social, uh, social needs and, and barriers within our systems is um, doing so with a trauma-informed kind of response. So implementing the principles of trauma-informed care that in, include collaboration, right, safety, but um, really look at the concepts of empowerment and voice and choice in everything that we do. The big piece that we're gonna see in the, in, um, that we've already seen in our systems, but the big piece around um, uh, the anxiety in the community right now is predictability, having, uh, helping inform the way in which we communicate as a system and as a government um, to be able to provide predictability. One example, is um, I'm working pretty closely with the emergency response um, coordinator uh, for our state and trying to look at ways and areas where we can um, insert um, trauma-informed care um, concepts on how we uh, get ready for a natural disaster, um, how we are able to respond and predict what's happening next so that the community can help around the, um, the lowering anxiety in the public to see what's coming next as much as we can. Here's what we're going to do now. Then we're going to do this. And then this is likely going to happen. This is the timeline for it. It's so the constant communication and the constant getting out of information and as much as we can help to provide predictability um, and, and to, so that people know what to expect next is going to be one way. So the crisis, we're working on a crisis hub right now. I actually just left a, a meeting to come for this. Um, it's a multi-pronged effort um, with both the state and um, philanthropic organizations um, and nonprofits to look at um, standing up a crisis hub and multiple crisis hubs across the state 
um, to kind of work as an emergency room, but specifically looking at mental um, health crisis. I'm interested in that. What would that actually look like? Would that be in a hospital or be a standalone facility? What would a, a crisis hub actually be? Well, we're trying to identify a space right now, um, but it would look similar to an emergency room. There's a couple of uh, there's a couple of crisis hubs that have been set up around the country, around on the continent, uh, that we're looking that we visited and we're trying to take elements of it to see what would be helpful to apply here. But it looks like um, that what we've seen in practice, it looks a little bit like an emergency room type of setting um, with uh, ability to um, to respond immediately to help stabilize folks that are experiencing mental um, health crisis, um, active psychosis. Um, and as, as it relates with medical need, that can be also addressed, but the specific focus is gonna be looking at um, uh, mental health crises that are happening. So people can either, um, what the concept is, right, is to look at um, uh, providing a specific space to have folks come in that are needing mental health um, support immediately. You know, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about, you know, identifying some of these things that may exist within the workplace, uh, within state government. You, uh, you had also mentioned um, in schools and such, uh, and just a lot of it also being impacted by the pandemic. Uh, but just for example, just to give us context into how this is implemented, uh, say there is a state department and there are individuals that work within a department or an organization within the state government that are suffering through some sort of mental trauma, um, experiencing need and assistance, what would that logistically and tangibly look like? Would that include someone from your department then reaching out to these individuals to get them connected with care? Would it be uh, you know, a, a list of mental health providers? H how would that all shape out so that the access to these needed services are implemented? Well, you know, there's a couple of and we're, and we're strategically thinking through this right now. Um, I just recently got staff on board and we're about to get two more staff on board. So I, I've finally been able to do some um, strategic planning for the office to see exactly how we're going to do that. Um, and as, as well as been talking to task force members and other organizations across the state um, on how that might look. But there's a couple of programs um, that are um, that we think might be very helpful to implement. We have, you know, we have the employee assistance program throughout the state, and that's something that employees are able to access now and have been able to access for many years. Um, and that looks like, you know, one-on-one -on -one support um, through the EAP program. Um, however, what we'd like to do is build sustainability within the system so that supervisors are trained up and supervisors can support um, through within the branches and the divisions and the departments um, so that we have this ongoing ability to um, respond so we don't wait till it gets to the point where people are in um, crisis mode as but it's this ongoing effort and campaign to identify when like yellow flags go up for us for us to be able to be um, aware enough as employees to say um, when we will need support early with early signs of burnout with early signs of vicarious trauma with with this ongoing um, uh, exposure to secondary traumatic stress. So um, different uh, types of elements and, and strategies that we're looking to implement um, to early identify um, staff that need, might need more support. And, you know, there's a huge 
body of research out there that talks about the effectiveness of peer supports in our systems. So we don't want to only rely just on the state. We don't want to only rely on therapists and mental health professionals uh, because we need to build that, that workforce up very much so right now. But we want to value and recognize the, the knowledge of people that have lived experience and how they can provide support within our systems and so integrating peer supports throughout our system, I think, is going to be uh, one of our focus areas as well. Um, but the sustainability piece, uh, it, again, this is the state can't be the, the state is not the answer to every of these questions. So our ability to collaborate and reach out to what's what's happening well um, and what's effective and what we've known, um, you know, the ancestral knowledge that's out there, that what we've known for many generations that has worked to create resilient communities um, needs to be recognized and uplifted and, and um, supported uh, as well. You know, it's so interesting because it really feels like you're talking about a real shift in sort of the culture and the thinking of how we view workers, how we view each other, uh, how we view community. I, I wonder with, with, some, with, with efforts like this, how do you measure success? You know, because those kinds of cultural changes um, and and what you're talking about, they can take a very long time to, I, I would think, uh, to to actually get into practice. So, in in the short term and long term, perhaps, how do you measure success from your office? Yeah, we're we're talking about systems reform, and and anybody who does systems work knows that this is a this is a marathon. <laughs> this is a long game, and so uh, there are long-term outcomes that we're going to be identifying. Um, we're developing a social determinants of health dashboards that was in the legislation. So we're, we're on our way to creating the um, and identifying the variables that will be uh, helping to inform that. However, I think in the short term, one of the things that I'd love to see um, as a measured outcome is um, a higher satisfaction um, and acknowledgement of, of where the, 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 focus needs to be around um, resilience within the workplace. So asking the questions, like even surveying staff on a statewide level to be able to say, how are we doing as a state? How are you doing as an employee? What kind of support do you have? What do you need? What do you think the barriers are in, the, in, in your specific program, your division, your department, your branch um, that you might identify that we could help respond to? Um, but, you know, Primarily and, and initially asking the questions, I think is going to be really helpful. Um, but when we ask questions, we want to make sure that we have our, and are prepared to come up with some um, solutions collectively. So we don't want to ask the questions and then we say, oh, thanks for the answers. Um, thanks for answering our questions. See you next year. We want to be able to say, uh, ask the questions and be able to immediately respond um, and have resources available and identified prior to prior to doing that. So it's it's we're going through the strategic planning piece um, with uh, with a lot of conversations with um, with both community leaders as well as um, academic folks. Uh, we're developing contracts with uh, a couple of universities right now to assist with what that might look like. Um, and uh, so measures around, can we better recruit? Can we better retain? Um, and can we better support employees that are providing the service to the, the public? So 
a lot of our programs and our departments are looking at focus on um, providing the service to the to the um, to the families and youth youth and and adults in our systems and in our communities. And we're trying to kind of take that step back to say, how well are are those people who are providing the supports supported and how balanced are they and what are their needs? Because if we have unbalanced staff, uh, it's that that don't recognize when they're burnt out or what their needs are or how to, you know, um, uh, come to this work uh, fully present for the folks that we want to serve. Uh, it's it's a little bit more difficult to provide solid services and supports for youth and families and to be able to identify really what those means, what that means um, in, in for the end, you know, uh, user. You know, I when it's it's never easy to be the first of anything, right? Because you are <laughs> establishing something from the ground up, uh, and not only are you the first in this position, but uh, this is the first of its kind of a department uh, in state government in the entire country. Uh, I'm wondering how you're going through this process of putting this all together, also recognizing that there isn't other models out there that you can really pull from, uh, or maybe there are different uh, states that have something similar. Uh, but included within another department. How are you frameworking all of this, uh, you know, just being the first in this role? Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, there are other jurisdictions that have created offices of trauma, offices of wellness, offices of resilience, um, and they're kind of nested within Department of Human Services um, Department, those types of departments, departments of health. Um, there are position one person positions in some governor's offices that are like looking to address as a coordinator position. But as far as we know, this is one of the first, if not the first um, office on a governor level to um, have a, multiple staff to address this. And so I've, I've been in contact with several other states um, and um, um, federal organizations that have created strategies um, and frameworks that are implementing similar efforts. Um, but, you know, a lot of the federal government um, agencies uh, are very interested in what we're doing because of the unique um, opportunity that we have to do this um, with a focus on it, uh, to have a cultural foundation to do this work. Um, how are we utilizing practices that um, have been uh, successfully um, building resilience in communities for generations I and mean, building upon those. So we do have, we're uniquely positioned to come up uh, as a, a lead in the country to, to look at how to um, utilize indigenous knowledge to inform these practices. Um, but yeah, it is, it is exciting uh, and it's also slightly terrifying <laughs> to do this with many you know uh, ideas about how this can how this can be um, implemented and operationalized in systems uh, so it's it's very exciting and, and what an what an unbelievable honor to to be a small part of this effort um, but I, I am very very um, interested in um, continuing this piece as uh, and pulling community um, knowledge together to to both learn and um, and grow this office collectively. 
We are almost out of time, but I want to give you an opportunity to share a final thought with our audience this morning. And, you know, when you talk about that, we, we rarely, I think, hear Hawaii getting to be at the forefront of something like that. What do you think that says about our state and the priorities of our, of our leadership that this is, you know, that this is brought to that level? Right. So, I mean, how how lucky we are to live in in a state that the administration, um, you know, prioritizes wellness um, and mental health. I mean, you know, we've had champions in the the Senate and and both the Senate and the House. Uh, This was primarily championed by um, uh, Senator Dela Cruz, but has also been supported by many legislators uh, as it was developed. Um, And then when Governor Green came in, uh, and has really created this as a priority uh, for his administration is just, it's, it's so, it's, it just has created such an amazing um, opportunity for us as a state to really prioritize this and bring the conversation to these levels. And having this during um, Mental Health uh, uh, Acceptance Month has, is t- very timely in that as well. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a humble, humbling up experience and a very exciting one as well. And before we do let you go, I just want to uh, allow if, if people are, you know, learning about this for the first time, if they want more information about the services you provide or, or just anything in general to get more information, how can people get connected with you or within the department or how can they learn more information about it? So we we can go, you, people can go to the governor's website and there's a, a piece on the office there. We are starting to develop, we have started to develop content to provide more information um, through that. But we also have an email um, and it's um, gov.owr at hawaii.gov. gov.owr at hawaii.gov. And so that's a general email that will go to our office and we can um, respond. Fantastic. Okay. Well, Tia Roberts-Hartsock, Executive Director of the Office of Wellness and Resilience, thanks for so much for coming on this morning, for explaining the office, and we look forward to catching up with you in the coming months to see the progress of what you've done. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Wow, Ryan, very interesting, you know, to hear about the progress uh, that they're already making and how this all came together. You know, we did experience a lot of collective anxiety and and some would describe it as trauma over the last few years going through uh, all the lockdowns and, and all the stress that the pandemic, you know, brought on. But beyond that, you know, you really heard her talking about trauma that people have experienced in their lives, um, a lot of childhood trauma that they're focused on that can then have very negative outcomes as adults. And interesting to hear how they're trying to use that mental health piece in recruitment, retention, making sure that, you know, people's lives are better uh, as they are workers. And then also talking about those potential crisis centers that we could see something like that in our community. That would be very exciting as well. Yeah, and something that would allow individuals, uh, if they are in a, in a state where they feel like they need a support or assistance, could go to, uh, whether it be housed in, in a hospital or some sort of medical facility, uh, those are some things, as she said, that they are working on. And also, uh, just really trying to get a pulse of employees about how they feel coming to work and, and what services they are currently being provided uh, services that they feel that they'll continue to need. That's going to be something that will also be a measurable uh, part of this department to just kind of gauge where workers are at. Uh, but when you hear from her too, th- there is a lot uh, that could fall into this department uh, as it's pretty broad. And, and of course, 
uh, many departments and many people who the state would ultimately want to service. But you also heard her say that it's about systems as well, that the state government can't be everything to everyone, that they're not going to be able to provide these counseling services or, or services in general for every single person that may be experiencing this. So how do they uh, really start from the ground to ensure that there are systems in place, that there are individuals, whether it be peers or trained professionals that can assist in these efforts and identifying them at an earlier point uh, before it gets to any sort of crisis mode. Uh, so there is a, a lot of foundation that is being laid uh, as this new department gets started. Yeah, and as she noted, we will be talking to James Koshiba on Monday, uh, and we're going. She's he's also going to be joined by Nani Maderos, who's the chief housing officer. Of course, uh, James Koshiba is the governor's coordinator on homelessness. We'll be asking him about how the work that uh, Ms. Hartsock is doing, you know, helps to, helps with his department. The conversation on Monday, we're really focusing in on Kauhale. Uh, the governor has laid this out as a big priority for his administration. You saw just this week uh, the buildings going up right by the Department of Health across the street from Queens Hospital, from that emergency room, so that, you know, the governor has said he doesn't want to see those folks laid out on the street after they're discharged in the emergency room with no place to go. This is supposed to be a stopgap measure to help get those folks services and to end that cycle. Um, so we're going to be talking to them about Kauhale. The governor's saying he wants 26 of these across the state. Where else could we see these? And, and how will the community um, have an opportunity to suggest where the sites could be? We're going to be taking a deep dive into Kauhale on Monday, and we do hope to see you then. Have a great weekend. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Happy early Mother's Day to you, Yanji. Oh, thank well, you so we'll much. We'll see you right back here <laughs> on Monday. Aloha.